Chapter Ten, Part Two of Anne of Geierstein by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. So saying, he turned round the projecting corner of a rock, and an unexpected scene was presented to the eyes of the young Englishman. In a sort of nook or corner, screened by the rocky projection, there burned a large fire of wood, and around it sat, reclined, or lay twelve or fifteen young men in the Swiss garb, but decorated with ornaments and embroidery, which reflected back the light of the fire. The same red gleam was returned by silver wine-cups, which circulated from hand to hand, with the flasks which filled them. Arthur could also observe the relics of a banquet, to which due honour seemed to have been lately rendered. The revellers started joyfully up at the sight of Donnerhugel and his companions, and saluted him, easily distinguished as he was by his stature, by the title of captain, warmly and exultingly uttered, while at the same time every tendency to noisy acclamation was cautiously suppressed. The zeal indicated that Rudolph came most welcome. The caution that he came in secret and was to be received with mystery. To the general greeting he answered, I thank you, my brave comrades. Has Rudiger yet reached you? Thou seest he has not, said one of the party. Had it been so, we would have detained him here till your coming, brave captain. He has loitered on his patrol, said the Bernese. We too were delayed, yet we are here before him. I bring with me, comrades, the brave Englishman, whom I mentioned to you as a desirable associate in our daring purpose. He is welcome, most welcome to us, said a young man, whose richly embroidered dress of azure blue gave him an air of authority. Most welcome is he, if he brings with him a heart and a hand to serve our noble task. For both I will be responsible, said Rudolph, Pass the wine-cup, then, to the success of our glorious enterprise, and the health of this our new associate. While they were replenishing the cups, with wine of a quality far superior to any which Arthur had yet tasted in these regions, he thought it right, before engaging himself in the pledge, to learn the secret object of the association which seemed desirous of adopting him before i engage my poor services to you fair sirs since it pleases you to desire them permit me he said to ask the purpose and character of the undertaking in which they are to be employed shouldst thou have brought him hither said the cavalier in blue to rudolph without satisfying him and thyself on that point care not thou about it laurens replied the bernese i know my man be it known then to you my good friend he continued addressing the englishman that my comrades and i are determined at once to declare the freedom of the swiss commerce and to resist to the death if it be necessary all unlawful 
and extortionate demands on the part of our neighbors i understand so much said the young englishman and that the present deputation proceeds to the duke of burgundy with remonstrances to that effect hear me replied rudolph the question is like to be brought to a bloody determination long ere we see the duke of burgundy's most august and most gracious countenance that his influence should be used to exclude us from bale a neutral town and pertaining to the empire gives us cause to expect the worst reception when we enter his own dominions we have even reason to think that we might have suffered from his hatred already but for the vigilance of the ward which we have kept horsemen from the direction of la ferrette have this night reconnoitred our posts and had they not found us prepared we had without question been attacked in our quarters but since we have escaped to-night we must take care for to-morrow for this purpose a number of the bravest youth of the city of bale incensed at the pusillanimity of their magistrates are determined to join us in order to wipe away the disgrace which the cowardly inhospitality of their magistracy has brought on their native place that we will do ere the sun that will rise two hours hence shall sink into the western sky said the cavalier in blue and those around joined him in stern assent gentle sirs replied arthur when there was a pause let me remind you that the embassy which you attend is a peaceful one and that those who act as its escort ought to avoid anything which can augment the differences which it comes to reconcile you cannot expect to receive offence in the duke's dominions the privileges of envoys being respected in all civilized countries and you will i am sure desire to offer none we may be subjected to insult however replied the bernese and that through your concerns arthur philipson and those of thy father i understand you not replied philipson your father answered donnerhugel is a merchant and bears with him wares of small bulk but high value he does so answered arthur and what of that mary answered rudolph that if it be not better looked to the bandog of burgundy is like to fall heir to a large proportion of your silks satins and jewelry work silk satins and jewels exclaimed another of the revellers such wares will not pass toll-free where archibald of hagenbach hath authority fair sirs resumed arthur after a moment's consideration these wares are my father's property not mine and it is for him not me to pronounce how much of them he might be content to part with in the way of toll rather than give occasion to a fray in which his companions who have received him into their society must be exposed to injury as well as himself 
i can only say that he has weighty affairs at the court of burgundy which must render him desirous of reaching it in peace with all men and it is my private belief that rather than incur the loss and danger of a broil with the garrison of la ferrette he would be contented to sacrifice all the property which he has at present with him therefore i must request of you gentlemen a space to consult his pleasure on this occasion assuring you that if it be his will to resist the payment of these duties to burgundy you shall find in me one who is fully determined to fight to the last drop of his blood good king arthur said rudolph thou art a dutiful observer of the fifth commandment and thy days shall be long in the land do not suppose us neglectful of this same duty although for the present we conceive ourselves bound in the first place to attend to the weal of our country the common parent of our fathers and ourselves but as you know our profound respect for the landman you need not fear that we shall willingly offer him offence by rashly engaging in hostilities or without some weighty reason and an attempt to plunder his guest would have been met on his part with resistance to the death i had hoped to find both you and your father prompt enough to resent such a gross injury nevertheless if your father inclines to present his fleece to be shorn by archibald of hagenbach whose scissors he will find clip pretty closely it would be unnecessary and uncivil in us to interpose meantime you have the advantage of knowing that in case the governor of la ferrette should be disposed to strip you of skin as well as fleece there are more men close at hand than you looked for whom you will find both able and willing to render you prompt assistance on these terms said the englishman i make my acknowledgments to these gentlemen of bale or whatever other country hath sent them forth and pledge them in a brotherly cup to our further and more intimate acquaintance health and prosperity to the united cantons and their friends answered the blue cavalier and death and confusion to all besides the cups were replenished and instead of a shout of applause the young men around testified their devoted determination to the cause which was thus announced by grasping each other's hands and then brandishing their weapons with a fierce yet noiseless gesture thus said rudolph donnerhugel our illustrious ancestors the fathers of swiss independence met in the immortal field of rutley between uri and unterwalden thus they swore to each other under the blue firmament of heaven that they would restore the liberty of their oppressed country and history can tell how well they kept their word and she shall record said the blue cavalier how well the present switzers can preserve the freedom which their fathers won proceed in your rounds good rudolph and be assured 
that at the signal of the hauptman the soldiers will not be far absent all is arranged as formerly unless you have new orders to give us hark thee hither laurence said rudolph to the blue cavalier and arthur could hear him say beware my friend that the rhine wine be not abused if there is too much provision of it manage to destroy the flasks a mule may stumble thou knowest or so give not way to rudiger in this he is grown a wine-bibber since he joined us we must bring both heart and hand to what may be done to-morrow they then whispered so low that arthur could hear nothing of their further conference and bid each other adieu after clasping hands as if they were renewing some solemn pledge of union rudolph and his party then moved forward and were scarce out of sight of their new associates when the vedette or foremost of their patrol gave the signal of alarm arthur's heart leaped to his lips it is anne of geierstein he said internally the dogs are silent said the bernese those who approach must be the companions of our watch they proved accordingly to be rudiger and his party who halting on the appearance of their comrades made and underwent a formal challenge such advance had the swiss already made in military discipline which was but little and rudely studied by the infantry in other parts of europe arthur could hear rudolph take his friend rudiger to task for not meeting him at the halting-place appointed it leads to new revelry on your arrival he said and to-morrow must find us cool and determined cool as an icicle noble hauptman answered the son of the landamman and determined as the rock it hangs upon rudolph again recommended temperance and the young biederman promised compliance the two parties passed each other with friendly though silent greeting and there was soon a considerable distance between them the country was more open on the side of the castle around which their duty now led them than where it lay opposite to the principal gate the glades were broad the trees thinly scattered over pasture-land and there were no thickets ravines or similar places of ambush so that the eye might in the clear moonlight well command the country here said rudolph we may judge ourselves secure enough for some conference and therefore may i ask thee arthur of england now thou hast seen us more closely what thinkest thou of the switzer youth if thou hast learned less than i could have wished thank thine own uncommunicative temper which retired in some degree from our confidence only in so far as i could not have answered and therefore ought not to have received it said arthur the judgment i have been enabled to form amounts in few words to this your purposes are lofty and noble as your mountains but the stranger from the low country is not accustomed to tread the circuitous path by which you ascend them my foot has always been accustomed to move straight forward upon the greensward 
you speak in riddles answered the bernese not so returned the englishman i think you ought plainly to mention to your seniors the nominal leaders of young men who seem well disposed to take their own road that you expect an attack in the neighbourhood of la ferrette and hope for assistance from some of the townsmen of bale ay truly answered donnerhugel and the landamman would stop his journey till he dispatched a messenger for a safe conduct to the duke of burgundy and should he grant it there would be an end of all hope of war true replied arthur but the landamman would thereby obtain his own principal object and the sole purpose of the mission that is the establishment of peace 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 answered the bernese hastily were my wishes alone to be opposed to those of arnold biederman i know so much of his honour and faith i respect so highly his valour and patriotism that at his voice i would sheath my sword even if my most mortal enemy stood before me but mine is not the single wish of a single man the whole of my canton and that of solur are determined on war it was by war noble war that our fathers came forth from the house of their captivity it was by war successful and glorious war that a race who had been held scarce so much worth thinking on as the oxen which they goaded emerged at once into liberty and consequence and were honoured because they were feared as much as they had been formerly despised because they were unresisting this may be all very true said the young englishman but in my opinion the object of your mission has been determined by your diet or house of commons they have resolved to send you with others as messengers of peace but you are secretly blowing the coals of war and while all or most of your senior colleagues are setting out to-morrow in expectation of a peaceful journey you stand prepared for a combat and look for the means of giving cause for it and is it not well that i do stand so prepared answered rudolph if our reception in burgundy's dependencies be peaceful as you say the rest of the deputation expect my precautions will be needless but at least they can do no harm if it prove otherwise i shall be the means of averting a great misfortune from my colleagues my kinsman arnold biederman my fair cousin anne your father yourself from all of us in short who are joyously travelling together arthur shook his head there is something in all this he said which i understand not and will not seek to understand i only pray that you will not make my father's concerns the subject of breaking truce it may as you hint involve the landamman in a quarrel which he might otherwise have avoided i am sure my father will never forgive it i have pledged my word said rudolph already to that effect but if he should like the usage 
of the band-dog of burgundy less than you seem to apprehend he will there is no harm in your knowing that in time of need he may be well and actively supported i am greatly obliged by the assurance replied the englishman and thou mayest thyself my friend continued rudolph take a warning from what thou hast heard men go not to a bridal in armour nor to a brawl in silken doublet i will be clad to meet the worst said arthur and for that purpose i will don a light hauberk of well-tempered steel proof against spear or arrow and i thank you for your kindly counsel nay thank me not said rudolph i were ill deserving to be a leader did i not make those who are to follow me more especially so trusty a follower as thou art aware of the time when they should buckle on their armour and prepare for hard blows here the conversation paused for a moment or two neither of the speakers being entirely contented with his companion although neither pressed any further remark the bernese judging from the feelings which he had seen predominate among the traders of his own country had entertained little doubt that the englishman finding himself powerfully supported in point of force would have caught at the opportunity to resist paying the exorbitant imposts with which he was threatened at the next town which would probably without any effort on rudolph's part have led to breaking off the truce on the part of arnold biederman himself and to an instant declaration of hostilities on the other hand young philipson could not understand or approve of donner hugel's conduct who himself a member of a peaceful deputation seemed to be animated with the purpose of seizing an opportunity to kindle the flames of war occupied by these various reflections they walked side by side for some time without speaking together until rudolph broke silence your curiosity is then ended sir englishman said he respecting the apparition of anne of geierstein far from it replied philipson but i would unwillingly intrude any questions on you while you are busy with the duties of your patrol that may be considered as over said the bernese for there is not a bush near us to cover a burgundian knave and a glance around us from time to time is all that is now needful to prevent surprise and so listen while i tell a tale never sung or harped in hall or bower and which i begin to think deserves as much credit at least as is due to the tales of the round table which ancient troubadours and mind-singers dole out to us as the authentic chronicles of your renowned namesake of anne's ancestors on the male side of the house continued rudolph i dare say you have heard enough and are well aware how they dwelt in the old walls at geierstein beside the cascade grinding their vassals devouring the substance of their less powerful neighbours and plundering the goods of the travellers whom ill luck sent within ken of the vultures airy the one year 
and in the next wearying the shrines for mercy for their trespasses overwhelming the priests with the wealth which they showered upon them and finally vowing vows and making pilgrimages sometimes as palmers sometimes as crusaders as far as jerusalem itself to atone for the iniquities which they had committed without hesitation or struggle of conscience such i have understood replied the young englishman was the history of the house of geierstein till arnold or his immediate ancestors exchanged the lance for the sheep-hook but it is said replied the bernese that the powerful and wealthy barons of arnheim of swabia whose only female descendant became the wife to count albert of geierstein and the mother of this young person whom swiss call simply anne and germans countess anne of geierstein were nobles of a different caste they did not restrict their lives within the limits of sinning and repenting of plundering harmless peasants and pampering fat monks but were distinguished for something more than building castles with dungeons and fulter cammers or torture chambers and founding monasteries with galilees and refractories these same barons of arnheim were men who strove to enlarge the boundaries of human knowledge and converted their castle into a species of college where there were more ancient volumes than the monks have piled together in the library of st gall nor were their studies in books alone deep buried in their private laboratories they attained secrets which were afterwards transmitted through the race from father to son and were supposed to have approached nearly to the deepest recesses of alchemy the report of their wisdom and their wealth was often brought to the imperial footstool and in the frequent disputes which the emperors maintained with the popes of old it is said they were encouraged if not instigated by the councils of the barons of arnheim and supported by their treasures it was perhaps such a course of politics joined to the unusual and mysterious studies which the family of arnheim so long pursued which excited against them the generally received opinion that they were assisted in their superhuman researches by supernatural influences the priests were active in forwarding this cry against men who perhaps had no other fault than that of being wiser than themselves look what guests they said are received in the halls of arnheim let a christian knight crippled in war with the saracens present himself on the drawbridge he is guerdoned with a crust and a cup of wine and required to pass on his way if a palmer redolent of the sanctity acquired by his recent visits to the most holy shrines and by the sacred relics which attest and reward his toil approach the unhallowed walls the warder bends his crossbow and the porter shuts the gate as if the wandering saint brought the plague with him from palestine but comes there a grey-bearded 
glib-tongued greek with his parchment scrolls the very letters of which are painful to christian eyes comes there a jewish rabbin with his talmud and kabbalah comes there a swarthy sunburnt moor who can boast of having read the language of the stars in chaldea the cradle of astrological science lo the wandering impostor or sorcerer occupies the highest seat at the baron of arnheim's board shares with him the labors of the alembic and the furnace learns from him mystic knowledge like that of which our first parents participated to the overthrow of their race and requites it with lessons more dreadful than he receives till the profane host has added to his hoard of unholy wisdom all that the pagan visitor can communicate and these things are done in almain which is called the holy roman empire of which so many priests are princes they are done and neither ban nor monition is issued against a race of sorcerers who from age to age go on triumphing in their necromancy such arguments which were echoed from mitred abbots to the cell of anchorites seems nevertheless to have made little impression on the imperial council but they served to excite the zeal of many a baron and free count of the empire who were taught by them to esteem a war or feud with the barons of arnheim as partaking of the nature and entitled to the immunities of a crusade against the enemies of the faith and to regard an attack upon these obnoxious potentates as a mode of clearing off their deep scores with the christian church but the lords of arnheim though not seeking for quarrel were by no means unwarlike or averse to maintaining their own defence some on the contrary belonging to this obnoxious race were not the less distinguished as gallant knights and good men-at-arms they were besides wealthy secured and strengthened by great alliances and in an eminent degree wise and provident this the parties who assailed them learned to their cost the confederacies formed against the lords of arnheim were broken up the attacks which their enemies meditated were anticipated and disconcerted and those who employed actual violence were repelled with signal loss to the assailants until at length an impression was produced in their neighborhood that by their accurate information concerning meditated violence and their extraordinary powers of resisting and defeating it the obnoxious barons must have brought to their defence means which merely human force was incapable of overthrowing so that becoming as much feared as hated they were suffered for the last generation to remain unmolested and this was the rather the case that the numerous vassals of this great house were perfectly satisfied with their feudal superiors abundantly ready to rise in their defence and disposed to believe that whether their lords were sorcerers or no 
their own condition would not be mended by exchanging their government either for the rule of the crusaders in this holy warfare or that of the churchmen by whom it was instigated the race of these barons ended in hermann von arnheim the maternal grandfather of anne of geierstein he was buried with his helmet sword and shield as is the german custom with the last male of a noble family but he left an only daughter sibylla of arnheim to inherit a considerable portion of his estate and i never heard that the strong imputation of sorcery which attached to her house prevented numerous applications from persons of the highest distinction in the empire to her legal guardian the emperor for the rich heiress's hand in marriage albert of geierstein however though an exile obtained the preference he was gallant and handsome which recommended him to sibylla and the emperor bent at the time on the vain idea of recovering his authority in the swiss mountains was desirous to show himself generous to albert whom he considered as a fugitive from his country for espousing the imperial cause you may thus see most noble king arthur that anne of geierstein the only child of their marriage descends from no ordinary stock and that circumstances in which she may be concerned are not to be explained or judged of so easily or upon the same grounds of reasoning as in the case of ordinary persons by my honest word sir rudolph of donnerhugel said arthur studiously laboring to keep a command upon his feelings i can see nothing in your narrative and understand nothing from it unless it be that because in germany as in other countries there have been fools who have annexed the idea of witchcraft and sorcery to the possession of knowledge and wisdom you are therefore disposed to stigmatize a young maiden who has always been respected and beloved by those around her as a disciple of arts which i trust are as uncommon as unlawful rudolph paused ere he replied i could have wished he said that you had been satisfied with the general character of anne of geierstein's maternal family as offering some circumstances which may account for what you have according to your own report this night witnessed and i am really unwilling to go into more particular details to no one can anne of geierstein's fame be so dear as to me i am after her uncle's family her nearest relative and had she remained in switzerland or should she as is most probable return thither after the present visit to her father perhaps our connection might be drawn yet closer this has indeed only been prevented by certain prejudices of her uncle's respecting her father's authority and the nearness of our relationship which however comes within reach of a license very frequently obtained but i only mention these things to show you how much more tender i must necessarily 
hold Anne of Geierstein's reputation than it is possible for you to do, being a stranger known to her but a short while since, and soon to part with her, as I understand your purpose, for ever. The turn taken in this kind of apology irritated Arthur so highly that it required all the reasons which recommended coolness to enable him to answer with assumed composure. I can have no ground, Sir Hauptman, he said, to challenge any opinion which you may entertain of a young person with whom you are so closely connected as you appear to be with Anne of Geierstein. I only wonder that, with such regard for her as your relationship implies, you should be disposed to receive, on popular and trivial traditions, a belief which must injuriously affect your kinswoman, more especially one with whom you intimate a wish to form a still more close connection. Bethink you, sir, that in all Christian lands the imputation of sorcery is the most foul which can be thrown on Christian man or woman, and I am so far from intimating such an imputation, said Rudolph somewhat fiercely, that by the good sword I wear he that dared give breath to such a thought against Anne of Geierstein must undergo my challenge and take my life or lose his own. But the question is not whether the maiden herself practices sorcery, which he who avers had better get ready his tomb and provide for his soul's safety. The doubt lies here whether, as the descendant of a family, whose relations with the unseen world are reported to have been of the closest degree elfish and fantastical beings may not have power to imitate her form and to present her appearance where she is not personally present in fine whether they have permission to play at her expense fantastical tricks which they cannot exercise over other mortals whose forefathers have ever regulated their lives by the rules of the church and died in regular communion with it and as i sincerely desire to retain your esteem i have no objection to communicate to you more particular circumstances respecting her genealogy confirming the idea i have now expressed but you will understand they are of the most private nature and that i expect secrecy under the strictest personal penalty i shall be silent sir replied the young englishman still struggling with suppressed passion on everything respecting the character of a maiden whom i am bound to respect so highly but the fear of no man's displeasure can add a feather's weight to the guarantee of my own honor be it so said rudolph it is not my wish to awake angry feelings but i am desirous both for the sake of your good opinion which i value and also for the plainer explanation of what i have darkly intimated to communicate to you what otherwise i would much rather have left untold 
you must be guided by your own sense of what is necessary and proper in the case answered philipson but remember i press not on your confidence for the communication of anything that ought to remain secret far less where that young lady is the subject rudolph answered after a minute's pause thou hast seen and heard too much arthur not to learn the whole or at least all that i know or apprehend on the mysterious subject it is impossible but the circumstances must at times recur to your recollection and i am desirous that you should possess all the information necessary to understand them as clearly as the nature of the facts will permit we have yet keeping leftward to view the bog upwards of a mile to make ere the circuit of the castle is accomplished it will afford leisure enough for the tale i have to tell speak on i listen answered the englishman divided between his desire to know all that it was possible to learn concerning anne of geierstein and his dislike to hear her name pronounced with such pretensions as those of donnerhugel together with the revival of his original prejudices against the gigantic swiss whose manners always blunt nearly to coarseness seemed now marked by assumed superiority and presumption arthur listened however to his wild tale and the interest which he took in it soon overpowered all other sensations End of chapter ten part two